0: Hello and welcome back to Mindful Warrior Radio. Mindful Warrior Radio is a space we created to share brave stories, authentic insight, and real knowledge. My name is Cami Craig, I'm a former elite athlete, Olympic champion turned performance and culture design coach at Mindful Warrior, and I'm your host of Mindful Warrior Radio. On this episode of Mindful Warrior Radio, we chatted with Newport, California native, Kaylee Gilcrest. She's a dual sport athlete winning a gold medal with the women's U.S. water polo team at the Rio 2016 and Tokyo 2020 Summer Olympic Games. When she's not in the pool, you will find her in the ocean as she is a professional surfer as well. Kaylee is one of the most driven and disciplined individuals I know, and I'm really excited to have her on the podcast today. Kaylee and I talk about her life-changing accident of surviving a tragic balcony collapse in South Korea following her team's gold medal win in the 2019 World Championships. She shares the mental and physical impact following that day and her commitment to healing herself. Kaylee shares her struggles, successes, and how she found strength throughout her journey. I want to give a warm welcome to my teammate and friend Kaylee Gilcrest. Welcome, Kaylee Gilchrist, good friend, teammate, uh, to Mindful Warrior Radio. We're excited to have you on and to learn from you uh, and have you share some insight. I'm excited to be here, Kami. Awesome, so um, if you wouldn't mind, take a moment to introduce yourself.
1: Sure, hey listeners, I'm like Kami said, Kaylee Gilchrist. I'm 29 years old from Newport Beach, California. I've had the fortune of playing with Kami on the 2016 Olympic gold medal water polo team. And then I continued my career to Tokyo for 2021, technically. And we yeah. won a gold there as well. Yeah. Um, I grew up, like I said, in Newport Beach, just kind of a tomboy, played all the sports, but really just loved surfing and water polo and was too stubborn to just choose one sport. So I continued that my entire life and I've had a a decent surf career professional surfer, and I'm looking forward to get back into some heats and some, some surfing in the near future and not necessarily uh, just going to focus on surfing. I think there's going to be some water polo still, but I haven't fully committed to the next quad because as you know, it's, it's tedious and a lot of hard work, but also very rewarding. So we'll see what the future has in store, but obviously very fortunate for, the sports and the um experiences I've had.
0: Awesome. Kales, I've been so excited thinking about getting you on the podcast because there's so many different angles that we could take in this conversation today. Like you've been on two gold medal winning teams, right? So how do you function within a team? How do you create um, a, t- a, team that makes it to the top of the podium and success in that regards. Um, you are a professional surfer, which means you've competed on your own, um, in a, like a single person sport, right. And, in connection and flow. And, you know, it's a totally different beast than playing on a team sport, like water polo, um, and all of your experience through that. Um, But today, you know, I was thinking, what are some really cool angles or topics we could talk to Kaylee about? And I really wanted to talk to you around the topic of fear, um, how you overcame fear or how you manage fear. Um, And one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is you experienced a life-changing accident in July of 2019. And if you can, can you share with us a little bit about uh what happened during this time
1: sure yeah i mean it was crazy it was world championships in gwangju south korea in july so besides the olympic games world championships is our next biggest event and we just beat our big rivals spain in the finals and the last night of a tournament is always super fun you know we get to finally blow off steam of competition and get to go out a lot of rivalry teammate or happened to be teammates in other teams, whether it was playing abroad or on your collegiate team. So it's always great to catch up with them and also celebrate uh, the win with the girls. So we were out and it was later in the evening and we were atop of a balcony in South Korea and it collapsed. And I was on top of the balcony with a few teammates. Luckily, most of the teammates went home and the others weren't on top. So it was just me, a couple of the guys and Paige Hochschild, one of my close teammates. And it collapsed. And at that moment, you don't really know what's going on. Anyways, so I got stuck underneath the collapse and kind of got pinned down. Um, severe left leg, leg laceration cut multiple muscles. I was bleeding pretty bad, kind of in and out of consciousness. Consciousness. Luckily, got carried out to the sidewalk where the ambulance came rather quickly and rushed to the hospital. It was just chaos, you know, and obviously didn't know what was going on, but trying mm-hmm. to keep in good spirits. The rest of the team flew home the next day because luckily everyone was safe. And I was back in the hospital for um, probably three or four extra days, had to do immediate surgery, and woke up the next morning And from surgery. And basically they said, it went well. You were millimeters away from your nerve. And I think that was finally when everything kind of hit me. Wow. It was just chaos. And obviously there was we were celebrating, and then that happened, and just shock gets involved. And it was kind of the first time I was able to sit down and be like, oh my gosh, I am so lucky. And millimeters away from your nerve is essentially um, having a functioning foot again. So for me being a professional athlete and obviously for anybody, but just having, being a normal person and how you know to live your life, you know, that was when it was like, wow, I almost lost all of that. And then there was just a lot of maintenance and watching and making sure my levels were okay, making sure there was no infection um, for the next few days before I was able to get on a plane home and finally be reunited with my my teammates and obviously with my family which was probably the greatest day of my life like being able to hug them after that crazy incident and then what followed was just months and months of uh excruciating rehab lots of doctor's appointments lots of work 12-hour days and there was definitely some fun to be had i I owe a lot to our trainer larney bokarian who was huge and obviously to my family but um what came after those months of training was a lot of the the mental, which I'm sure we'll dive more into. But That's when mm-hmm. uh, I, I was struggling with panic attacks and PTSD. And I didn't really know until I seeked help. And then what came in the work that was put in after the mental was probably my my hardest chapter of, of the story, or we like to call it the Mamba mission. Um, but I obviously learned and grew the most from that mental aspect. So it was crazy. I was very fortunate. Um, unfortunately two South Koreans passed away in the incident. There's a lot of, uh, injuries and I was able to somehow months later be able to be my normal self. Um, obviously with some scars, mm-hmm. and, uh, some trauma from there that will always stick with me, but yeah, it was a wild ride and it's been almost two years or a year or two and a half years. I'm sorry. And, uh, there's still, I you mean, know, almost every day there's still some panic that pops up or memories that pop up that I'll sure. continue after have to work on. And I just know that like, I'll never overcome that fear, but you just have better tools to learn how to work with it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think Kales, it's, it's been such a journey for you um, as your teammate and friend witnessing it, you know, from that moment of you coming home and being able to hug your family. And I remember just you having a revolving door of friends and teammates and loved ones coming in and visiting you. I remember that, you know, my first time being able to come in and give you a big hug after that. There was no words spoken. I just remember like holding you and crying and your dad getting up and walking out of the room to give us a moment as we just kind of sat there, you know, because it, it was such, it, like you said, you know, it, there was a lot of shock involved and there's probably different times throughout your journey that it felt where there was more fear or more anxiety or more realness to it, right? At different times. And it probably came in waves, but um, I'm curious of how did you, how did you show up in times fast with fear? And I, like, I, like I said, there's probably different moments of fear throughout this process for you. But what did you learn about yourself or, or how did you show up in those moments?
1: Um, I was really good at, I mean, it's probably was what bit me in the butt in the long run, but car- compartmentalizing. And I just really focus on the next task. And I think that's a lot thanks to sport and what that teaches you. Um, so it was like, Hey, I'm stuck under this, uh, you know, giant metal piece. Like, what do I need to do to get out here? I need to push my teammate and call for help. And then it was like, Hey, now what? I need to get to the sidewalk. Now I need to FaceTime my family and let them know I'm okay. And just slowly, but surely it was just like, my brain was moving at a million miles a minute, but it was already planning for the next step, the next step. Like, how am I going to call my coach and have this conversation? And whether, you know, I think there's a lot about being in the present, but I think Certain situations, it might have been good to look forward just to keep me from that fear. Uh, with all that being said, there was a lot of pushing away the fear um, when I was back home and when I am training to get better because there was the fear of not making teams, not making the Olympics, never being able to compete or play the sport at the level that I that I know I can. And that fear pushed me in the sense of working hard, uh, you know, doing the twelve-hour physical days, um, you know, doing it with a smile on my face. But it also pushed down the real, real fear that was um, came from the PTSD, from the incident, and not yep. allowing myself to feel what I needed to feel and take care of what I needed to take care of. And that mm-hmm. eventually led to, in February of the same, I guess it would be 2020, like six months or so later, led to multiple panic attacks. And there was signs leading up yep. to that. There was signs of claustrophobia in elevators. There were signs of anxiousness in small spaces, Um, little things like that, that I kept on pushing down and then it all accumulated at once. So it was really interesting, this idea of fear. There's this fear of uh, not, you know, fear of the future and that was pushing me. And I think that got me back to Mm -hmm. a physical level that I needed to get to. And I'm really proud of the work that was done. But then there was this fear of the actual incident and the trauma that happened because of it that I was scared I had too much fear to even deal with. And it came out at a crazy, yeah. um, you know, way that I've never really dealt with panic, panic attacks, anxiety, stuff that I've been fortunate for the most part to not have to deal with. And it took me to fainting to finally go and seek that help and dive yeah. into this whole wow. new journey of exposing this fear and learning how to deal with it
0: yeah yeah i'm i'm i appreciate you sharing you know about the about your panic attacks and your anxiety you know I think that there's so many people who are experiencing and managing a level of anxiety of their own you know through whatever the reasons of having it may be um and it's so common. And it's so real, right? This this experience of panic attack and anxiety. Um, and it's interesting that it came to a boiling point for you to where you experience this to have to make a shift and a change. Um I think I can really come alongside of you and in, in really struggling in my transition out of athletics, um, and getting to a super low, low, um, and deciding like, okay, yep. I, like I need help that I need to go. I, this is bigger than me and I need some support, uh, from professionals in this space. And it sounds like it, yours was a similar experience. Um, I'm curious of kind of like, what was your reflection in that moment of you experience a panic attack, you faint from it, right? This is a whole new level of anxiety that you're experiencing. Kind of what were your thoughts coming out of that or surrounding that moment that moved you into taking those next steps to to seeking the support that you needed at the time?
1: Yeah, I'm just going to back up a little bit because there was, I have had so much support and people throughout um, the entire, from upcoming to that actual panic was like telling me maybe yes. it's time to reach out. Maybe, I mean, you were one of them even, but there was mil- like hundreds like, yes. were like, all right, like how are you want to go talk to someone? I'm like, no, I will, I will, I'm not ready yet. And that was a little bit of me, yep. I think, pushing away from it. But at the same time, like you will only get what you put in. So at that moment and those panics and the fainting, like that was finally the moment where I was ready to go all in. Could I have maybe saved myself from that one moment? Maybe, maybe not if I went and seeked help earlier, but who knows, maybe I would have just been one foot in instead of, you know, hundred percent in. Um, So I think the, that, was what got me, like you said, the low to finally commit. But I think it was just the realization, like, look, like I fainted in my coach's arms. Like I am not myself. Like I know what myself feels like, and this is definitely not it. I'm very aware that, uh, I haven't been myself for months. Like there's just been, and then all of a sudden, like what I told you earlier was just the membering of the panics in the elevator. Like I was on crutches and I would crush up five flights of stairs because I was too scared in the elevator. And there's just these things. there's mm-hmm. like epiphany moments and like, hey, well, clearly I was avoiding stuff. Um, and obviously it was also you know, I needed to get help in order if I wanted to make my dreams come true. you know, I couldn't be able to play Olympic yeah. games or make this team if this was some of the stuff I was dealing with. Um, so then right then and there, I went to our sports site. Psych- it happened in Colorado Springs where the USOPC training camp is. And I immediately said, Adam, not going to practice, went with my trainer to our sports psych and finally just talked about the incident and just talked about everything. And that was a lot of help. And then I reached out um, by myself to different type of therapist in Newport Beach and started, you know, doing a bunch of therapy work and fortunately, obviously, unfortunately, but fortunately the world stopped and I was given more time to do work, you know, as a professional Mm -hmm. athlete, we're training six, six days a week, six hours a day, you know, with very little off time that I don't think if we were to continue that schedule, I would have been able to give what, uh, what needed to be given to overcome a lot of what I was dealing with. So the world stopped and I was doing, three different types of therapy sessions, uh, a week, it was exhausting wow. and it's tiring. And that work was some of the hardest. And I had to go over the incident again and again and again, you know, and it was just memories coming flooding back emotions, feelings flooding back, but I was able to have the time and commitment to be able to do that. So, um, that's actually something that wow. I was fortunate with, with the pandemic and all that.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, you said kind of moments after that, that, panic attack where that led to you saying like, okay, it's time I'm all in. You're absolutely no stranger to being all in, in things, Kaylee. Like I've watched you just be all in, in our training process, uh, with the national team and, and with water polo. And then, you know, we train six and a half hours in the pool for polo. And then you're surfing in between trainings, like talk about being all in, like I've never known anyone, you know, we're on the program. We laugh about like, we got to get on the program all the time. You are all in. And, um, you know, I was curious of what all in looked like. And it sounds like, you know, three therapy sessions a week. It sounds like committing completely into having the courage to face this head on and say, okay, like we're going to get to the bottom of this i'm going to own this and i'm going to stop running from it um and and start you know working towards it which is like that is such an insanely courageous act to do because how terrifying to have to go through that work um how terrifying to have to revisit that over and over again and i think it just goes to show just like the strength, the courage and the ability you possess to go through that. Um, it's not easy work as you reflect on that time and the work that you put in. Um, is there any thoughts that come up for you or, you know, things that you noticed about yourself, um, or things that you're even proud of?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it was, the realization, like, this is not who I am, like, I want to get back to, to me or a version of me that I'm proud of. And, you know, the obstacle is the way. So I, I love that book, when I was injured, and I read it often. And um, that, you know, I just knew I, that's what I had to do is put in the time and put in the effort to get better. And, um, you know, for example, we had exposure therapy, I had to sit in an elevator, uh, an hour a week at first with my dog and a phone. With my therapist on the line, and slowly but surely work up to me by myself in there, and just to to make you super uncomfortable in, in places that eventually you become comfortable. Um, the reason I'm bringing up elevators a lot, there was a situation when I was going to surgery where kind of the panic happened going into, uh, you know, obviously in a foreign country, not knowing what the heck is happening in an elevator. Um, and then there's like EDMR was a great therapy that helped me, and it's basically you're reproce- reprocessing your your memory. The trauma into just another memory. So, you know, instead of looking and talking mm-hmm. about South Korea and all of a sudden your body tenses up and your body knows it's, it's a traumatic experience. You just realize, okay, just reprocess. That was a memory that happened in my life. And, you know, I, I view it as that. Um, and yeah. obviously there's a lot of homework that was to be had. Mm-hmm. So it was more than three hours, but I'm just proud that I, I was able to do it. Um, and just fully commit and kind of did it on my own. You know, there there was obviously guidance um, from a lot of people and support from a lot of people. But, you know, I picked up the phone and I called and I actually went to my first therapy session before the world stopped and was able to just do that all on my own without um, being too pushed or, or without the help of that many others. And I think just that kind of allowed that me to have that ownership within the entire experience and, and growth from it. Um, But with all that being said there, it's something I'm going to forever live with, you know, I become yep. really claustrophobic, more so than I ever have in my life. But at yep. least I have the tools uh, in learning how to how to deal with it, and know what is triggering that. So I think um, rather than avoiding certain situations, you know, I am able to like, all right, this is what we're going to do, and I know if I get panicky, these are these are my A, B, or C uh, steps to take to be able to overcome these feelings.
0: Yeah, I think yeah. I am hearing you say like a little bit about you know i wasn't myself and i wanted to get back to myself and i'm curious of i think you know it's there's times in everyone's life where we feel like we've lost ourselves just a little bit right um on some sort of level and i'm curious of how did you keep a connection with self um and how did you find that pathway back to yourself throughout this experience
1: i think uh waterfall is a big help um And actually probably hindered it a little bit because I was just so focused on those goals. And when you start Mm -hmm. to look at that as you, your whole, like attacking this goal, I am this goal, which is so very not true. Um, But I think that allowed me to stay focused and rehab and stuff. And then when I realized that that was all I was chasing was obtaining this goal, then I kind of realized like, oh, I've lost who I am and what my values are. Um, It just became Mm -hmm. almost easy in the sense of like after an injury and after a traumatic experience to like just go seek the, that obtaining that goal and going after that and having that schedule um it made it easy you know I basically was working from leaving my house from six not coming home till seven or eight so I turned my brain off essentially of uh myself and what I needed to deal with and then, you know, doing that for four straight months, you kind of realize like, oh, I'm maybe neglecting this. I'm neglecting that. Maybe I don't need to train 12 hours a day. Maybe it's time to go reconnect with my family or reconnect with my friends, which obviously is a huge value of mine. So there was things that kind of popped up and that I realized that I was kind of losing uh, my sense of self. And then obviously going through panic and that was like a realization too, that this is not who I am. Um, Not that you can push away the panic attack, everyone goes through anxiety and panics in their own way. But I think that was kind of an epiphany moment to sit down, reconnect with what I value and who I am and get back to that and also take not just get back to that, but also take what you learned, or what I personally learned in the last, whatever, six months and, and use it to grow to the person I want to become.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious of like, how have you become more authentically yourself through this process?
1: I just think it just pushed me to be vulnerable on a whole nother level. Um, and just aware that everyone's kind of going through their own journey. It sounds cliche, you know, sometimes people are struggling, you don't even know it. So just be a little bit more compassionate person, um, which I, I thought I was, you know, rather compassionate. But then you think about actually what you've learned from these situations like, Oh, there's a whole nother level you can reach Um, and just being vulnerable and opening up to uh, not even those you love, but everyone else. And you just kind of bring more of this sense of softness and kindness. Um, I think that's been one of my biggest takeaways. Obviously, you know, I've learned not only through my South Korea incident, but uh, Kobe Bryant was a huge mentor. Coach Barnett, my high school coach was a huge mentor, both lost them in, you know, Within a year, year and a half from the same incident that Mm -hmm. I went through. So just that reminder that life is fragile. So if you can take that softness and kindness throughout life, it'll just make it that much more enjoyable.
0: Really, really well said, Kales. Really connecting to that. Thank you uh, for sharing that. Um, I'm curious of we've talked a lot about kind of the mental aspect, but how would you differentiate your experience between your physical and your mental rehabilitation or rehab?
1: Um, I mean, physical, there's just so much like work that has to be done. And we were, we were crazy uh, organized and maybe a little OCD of getting that work to be done. Um, And it was really cool to see the progress being made. I think that was something that I geeked out on throughout the months. You know, eventually, you know, I couldn't walk for three weeks and then eventually seeing my, being able to wiggle my toes the first time in three weeks or whatever. And then eventually, I think first time I stand on my own feet was eight weeks. The first time I took my first step was two or three months. Like we have all these written out and saved somewhere, but I think just seeing the progress, like the little tiny mundane tasks pay off. Um, And then eventually seeing those, the progression grow and grow. And from what was standing on my own two feet to running in Thanksgiving, I went on my own little Turkey trot. Like there's just memories that I have and just being able to celebrate those with that. We're kind of going through it. You know, again, I mentioned my trainer earlier. That was huge. My family there. I just had tons of support and cheerleaders throughout. So I think the physical, just that the progression is so much easier to be seen than the mental. So it's really easy to hold on and attach to and um, kind of push forward. And the mental, it's a lot harder. Uh, You don't know the progress being made until you're put into a situation um, that might bring up those feelings. And then when you are in that situation and you can see the progress, it's like a euphoric feeling because it's not as noticeable as the physical. Um, and you're like, okay, I can continue to live my life and not be afraid of X, Y, and Z, you know, these places. So that, that to me, I think is the difference. Um, I probably had a lot more fun in the physical <laughs> cause it was just so easy to have fun and see, see me grow and back to my, my sports. But the mental I think is a lot more, um, re- re-
0: reward. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm curious of was there anything that uh, surprised you that you didn't expect that helped you achieve the level in which you worked your way back to or achieve this kind of back to self like you say?
1: Sure. I think um, nothing that surprised me in physical because the work you put in is the work you're gonna is what you're gonna get out of it. I think that was pretty yeah. self uh, explanatory, but um, the mental, I think, obviously the work was really excruciating and that was really cool. But I think the biggest takeaway I had is like, I almost let go of things and that was more enjoyable. Like for instance, I'll I'll give a Mm -hmm. waterfall example. Like I was so competitive. Like I had to beat this and these times and, you know, get this, squat this in the weight room, get this on my test set, have this shooting percentage And because that's kind of the way at least I was brought up. And a lot of us as athletes are, you know, numbers, you just become obsessed with numbers. And especially for a sport like water polo, there aren't that many numbers to compare. So whatever you do have, you kind of become obsessed with them. And I realized after everything I went through is like, why do I care about this? Like, there's so much bigger things like not saying I wasn't going to give it all my all in water polo. That's as people who know me know, that's not the case. You know, as soon as that cap comes on, or as soon as the Jersey and surfing comes on, it's like, you know, kill mode, but it was less obsessed with my performance and um, somehow that flowed over and I ended up probably having my best tournament in in the Olympic games and just didn't really, I cared less about statistics and my own personal performance and I just played. And I think that kind of helped me, uh, reach uh, a whole new level, to be honest.
0: Yeah. Kaylee, that's super interesting. And that's something I think we've totally talked to each other about before is just this balance of like, how, how do you let go? How do you invite contentment and kindness and compassion to self while staying fierce and competitive in what you're doing? And it seems such It seems like such a tricky balance, I think, uh, for any high performer, whether that's, you know, athletics, you know, being an artist, a performer, uh, corporate, it's like, how do you strike that balance of not feeling like there's enough spaciousness, you know, to where you're not, not living or experiencing or enjoying or too sucked into the numbers, like you said, Um, there's enough spaciousness to enjoy and be free but still be focused and fierce and a, and a competitor, like how would you speak to that balance or how would you speak to finding like you experienced that freedom of letting go, but still showing up at the largest athletic stage and getting to the top of the podium? Like, heck yeah. What's the recipe to that? Tell me that Kales. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) I mean, I wish I know I'd be a multimillionaire by now, but I think it's, uh, I mean, I'm going to use one of Kobe's quote. I, I was fortunate to meet him a handful of times and he mentored me, like I said. So I asked him this question, I think back in 2018, because I've always been yes. pretty curious about balance because obviously I've been more than a water polo player. I've been a surfer and obviously a friend, family member, so on and so forth. And there's a lot of, um, People that only focus on one to be great, and I was just really interested. Like, how could somebody at the top of your sport, like Kobe, in his obsession, how did he find balance? And the way he explained it is, you know, you're on a tightrope, a tightrope, and maybe to your right's basketball, or for me, water polo, and to the left is family, and you're forever swaying back and forth, trying to figure out the right balance. Sometimes you fall and get your, you know, your butt kicked on the ground, and that's when your family member comes and says, Hey, get your crap together, you know, and then you sway back to middle and, or maybe you're having a terrible game in the basketball court and then your family pulls you back. Hey, it's just a right. game or whatever the examples are. So there's no perfect recipe for balance. You're just swaying back and forth. And I think the older you get and the more you understand yourself, the easier it is to find that sway and kind of make it more of a dance back and forth. Um, so I think it's just something you're forever learning. Um, for me though, I, I, don't want to say i wish i knew the recipe earlier because i think there was at times when i need to have that obsession with numbers and i needed to have um the obsession with the sport and the competitiveness within myself and against others too to eventually reach uh, the level that i made you know if this was the first quad i think i needed that um intense intensity in the the craziness and the horse blinders on just staring at those numbers mm-hmm. and becoming better so I don't want to say that, you know, everyone should be able to, you know, like, oh, you know, let go. It doesn't matter about the numbers. I think you need to just know yourself uh, best to know when the time is to focus and bear down on them or when it's time to give you that space and that compassion and kindness that we talked about earlier.
0: Yeah, it's really neat to hear you talk about that. And especially since this was your second Olympic Games and thinking back in you know, how different all three of my games were and what phases I was totally locked in horse blinders, like you said. And like, that's where you're like, you're laying the foundation you're like experiencing and you're in a space of like, this is what it's like to be completely, um, you committed this is what it's like to be really disciplined this is what it's like to be really you know kind of fierce in everything you're doing just totally like blocking out the noise where i'm like there's no life that exists out of just making sure like i am a beast and cannot be stopped you know um but there's a lot there's a lot that is missed in that space as well but so cool to be able to explore it, kind of learn that land and then have it and then start then you're saying kind of layering in the next growth, whether it's now it's awareness of self and awareness of others and having some time in that land and being able to then start adding those things in and finding your balance. Um, And I totally agree with you that there's there's a time where you've got to be in that zone to learn it and to know it um, and know it at its full capacity so that you can bring it up um, you know, and that's why I think you see athletes and, in- and humans in general develop and, and learn all of these skills. Um, and there's those times in our lives where we got to go through those phases. Um, I can also really appreciate your words and and Kobe's words that he shared with you about balance is a consistent, it's an always a check-in, right? It's not a kind of set it and forget it. It's something you're constantly checking in on um, daily to make sure that you're aligned where you need to be. And some things are going to need more attention than others at different times. And it's about like you said, how you know yourself um, and, and the journey of getting to know yourself. Um, And that seems like a constant as well. So basically, there's just all this work we have to continue to do in our lives <laughs> to be like, well, to be really well balanced. Yeah. Um So just it, it's fascinating, you know, and I think, there's so much growth that you've gone through. There's so much growth that I've gone through, you know, just to get to this, this top level. Um, And, you know, by you sharing this, this journey and this, this experience that you went through um, and all the work that you've done, it's like, wow, like we're almost just scratching the surface of what our potential and our capabilities are as humans. Um, And there's so much more we have within us in regards to how we can show up as, as whole people. Um, I guess what I would ask you is, as you experienced being injured and going through just the mental hurdles of everything that you're experience experiencing, um, you know, again, I think so many people can relate in their own ways to this in, in different times in their life, You know, what kind of what advice or words would you have to share with them or even think about yourself at the beginning of your journey? Like, what would you say to yourself then knowing what you know now?
1: Uh, For me personally, I would just make sure I would check in on the mental a lot earlier. Um, I say that just knowing what happened. But even like I said earlier in this podcast, it wasn't until I kind of hit my rock bottom to go seek that help. So, I mean, it may have helped. It may have not. Um, I think, obviously, the way it worked out was how it was supposed to be. But I think just checking in on yourself um, is really important and being able to have that support system around you and have the handful of people you know you can reach out to and check in with when you're not feeling mm-hmm. like yourself or when you're a little lost is huge. Uh, and something probably I should have used a little bit more in my earlier stages of my of my rehab and I think that's huge. And they, those people know you and they know when you're off and they can either be here and know when it's like, hey, how are you? Or it's like, okay, I'm coming over and we're going to take care of this. And I think that to me yeah. um, is something I've learned through all of this. And again, I think that helps with the vulnerability I learned uh, because it's, it's hard to get through something uh, on your own. And I tried to, and I tried with a smile on my face. And whenever people asked how I was doing, it was like, oh, it's fine. It's good. Like, you know, just kind of pushed them away. So I think that is going to help a lot of people struggling with whatever they're going through and just know that everyone's going through something. So not to be ashamed or embarrassed or afraid to reach out and to, to mm-hmm. be vulnerable. You'd be surprised how ever, everyone responds to, uh, to you. And that's something that I learned. So I think just the number one advice is just the support system. And uh, there's so many resources now, you know, if you don't feel comfortable talking with somebody within your family or your friend group, there's tons of resources that you can reach out to and a lot for free as well to, to find some help.
0: Awesome. And the last thing I want to ask you before I let you go, Kales, is what, what parts of yourself, I mean, you like, uh, we're always like, like we said, we're always doing the balance game and we're always growing, uh, within ourselves. So what parts of yourself are you looking for, for to developing and why, and we're coming into 2022. So like, I'm all fired up on the new, new year, new energy, you know, and continuing to build upon, you know, what I've got going on already. So what, what's that for you?
1: For me, I think before my incident, I was notorious for spreading myself too thin, like wanting to be a good friend, wanting to be everywhere, doing everything, wanting to surf, play water polo, go out, all that. And then when the pandemic hit, when I got injured, I kind of completely shut that off, which was really important at that time, and wasn't that great at reaching out to friends and family, which I took so much pride in. So I think 2022 for me is just to work on my relationships and not get finding again, like we talked about the balance, I never wanted to get to the point of spreading myself too thin, like, like I do, I need to learn to say no, um, a little bit more, but just reaching back out and becoming or getting back to the roots of of being that kind of committed friend and checking in on people and doing the small things. And I've realized, you know, I think the older you get, obviously, there's tons of great friends out there, but you realize your circle is, is getting a little smaller and a little tighter. So I think that was something that happened over the last two years, which, which is great. You know, you understand your friends and your people more, but um, also just almost extending that circle to the people that, you know, you may maybe have lost touch with. So I'm really looking forward to that in
0: 2022. Awesome. I'm looking forward to that as well. Um, I just want to thank you so much, Kales. It's been so cool to have you on the podcast. you know, it's cool to have a conversation together, uh, and have it be recorded. I feel like we've talked about these things in every which way, um, on our own time, but I'm just so incredibly proud of you. I'm so inspired by you truly. Um, it's been phenomenal to witness your journey and, you know, I just, I'm proud of you and I love you. And and thank you so much for, for sharing with everyone to hear, you know, how to get through, parts of your life like this, what things that they could focus on, where to get help, how to build support. I mean, you've left us with a, a wealth of knowledge and insight and is so real and so authentic. So thanks for showing up today. I really appreciate you. Um, and hopefully we'll have you back on the podcast, maybe 2024, who knows what's down the pipeline for you, but we'll be we'll be thinking about you and cheering you on in whatever way you go and whatever direction you end up headed. So thank you.
1: Thank you. I appreciate the kind words and go mindful warriors.
0: (laughs) Yes. Thanks, Gail. Thank you to those who joined us today. I hope you enjoyed our time with guest Kaylee Gilcrest as she shared authentic insight into her healing journey following a life-changing accident. Kaylee shares different healing approaches that worked best for her, the importance of the right support group, and where she put her focus. To get through each day I look forward to our next discussion here at mindful warrior radio to learn more about mindful warrior and mindful warrior radio please follow us on instagram at the real mindful warrior and check out our website at www.mindfulwarrior.com thanks look forward to seeing you next time